0: Well, thank you, Heather, for uh, getting us started here, and Linda for leading us in worship and being together as a church family. You know, as we see through these last few months, it's a great privilege to gather together and how much we need each other, need relationship, and how many of us uh, got pretty lonely through these last uh, months. And uh, we are made for relationship. And so my name is John Hovitt. I'm uh, Heidi's dad, and I am... It's we have been a part of your family for really the last couple of years, and you have blessed us so much by inviting us and allowing us to be a part of uh, your family that has been made by the Lord God himself. And so you make us feel very special here, and we're grateful for those relationships that are eternal. So uh, a number of you, I don't think I know very much, but probably will have opportunity in the Lord willing, uh, in the fall, upcoming months and years, because I don't think we're going anywhere <laughs> unless the Lord takes us home, right? So we look forward to that. They used to say, the church, Maranatha, right? Lord, come quickly. And so we have that greater yearning in our hearts, I think, now. Lord, come quickly. Um, so I, I think of uh, your Father's Day, and you didn't... Isn't it great uh, being fathers and grandfathers? And I mean, I look around here, I I see some great fathers, and, uh, and you just enjoy that. It's such a privilege. And it's so wonderful the way, as we go through life, how we thought we were teaching our children something, and we realize, oh, God is using this, them in my life, seemingly more than I ever was in their life. And... And we're so enriched by that to see them grow. Like, for instance, uh, yesterday as we went uh, for the prayer time at Heidi and Daniel's, and we we're getting out of the car, and uh, you know the driveway's a little bit sloped, and and uh, Aaron David comes running up, you know, to greet us, and then he realizes, oh, we're we're trying to hold the door open for what, what's he call you, Boppy. <laughs> And suddenly he instantly drops what he's doing and he goes and over and holds the door uh, for for Boppy. Uh, and then I think last year uh, there was a time here in one of our gatherings that um, Amaya fell and hit her head and she was crying. And then uh, immediately uh, Aaron David goes over and tries to tries to comfort her. And immediately Amaya responds back. You know, you just love to see those examples in children and how much that. You go, oh, yeah, they teach us. Uh, So with that in mind, um, my daughter uh, brought something into my life this last week as uh, we continue to teach one another. She recommended a movie, um, and it was a 2018 sci-fi movie. And she wasn't recommending me as that this is going to be the next classic like Gone with the Wind or Fit on the Roof or Sound of Music or something, uh, and, and or one of those one of those movies that there's certain groups that follow them like Princess Bride. You say certain certain lines. You know, like, have fun storming the castle, <laughs> or certain lines of people that follow that. And then we were with some 30-somethings this last week over uh, near campus, and uh, they just made a reference to the Goonies. And I go, I haven't seen the Goonies. You know, and they started mentioning different lines in it, and laughing back and forth. I noticed they had a certain following. And how many have seen the Goonies? <laughs> All right, it's filmed, I know it's filmed on the Oregon coast, you know, so uh we we need to pull that out sometime, hon. <laughs> but uh, so uh, the movie she she recommended was a part of uh, the Transformer series uh, that I wasn't too familiar with. But there, th- but she brought it up for a purpose, and it was a great uh, great purpose that I'm going to get to in, in just a moment. But it was a, a Transformers movies where there is where in two, it was like I say it was made in 2018, but it takes place back in 1987. And so two civilizations in the Transformers world are battling it out, the Autobots and the Decepticons. I think I got that right. Feel free to correct me if I get some of the data uh, incorrect or the terminology. And so uh, they send this one Autobot. I think the Autobots are the good guys. And uh, they send uh, B-127 to Earth with a mission to try and... uh, a, be a place where their civilization can regather and try and be a rescue attempt there at planet Earth. But the, the bad guy Decepticons follow, follow him down and they try and totally decimate him. But uh, B-127, just as his computers are shutting down, again, these are the Transformers are like robotic, powerful creatures that have some human characteristics. And so as his computers are shutting down, he, he zeroes in on a 67 VW Beetle and takes on that form, that disguise. So he hides out on planet Earth and finds himself in the garage of a mechanic. And then an 18-year-old uh, girl named Charlie ends up be- receiving this gift of a VW Beetle uh, from her employer on her 18th birthday, and then uh, she discovers it's not really totally a VW Beetle, <clears throat> but it's this powerful transformer individual that because all his computers were shut down, doesn't remember who he really is or what, why he's on planet Earth. And so he's more like a golden retriever for this young lady, and, they, and it, part of the film is them having a great time together as she's driving this VW Beetle that's really this powerful figure that can do all these, these kinds of things. So that's part of the story. So you're wondering, why did your daughter recommend this movie? Well, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> well, the Decepticons figure out that B127 has gotten to planet earth and their intention is to is to finish the work that they started to destroy him and then maybe destroy planet earth while they're there and so he along B127 along the line gets gets connected to the right electrical current and suddenly his his computers start kicking into gear and he discovers oh he's not someone that she named Bumblebee. And he's not just there on planet Earth to play like a golden retriever with Charlie. He's there for a mission to save his civilization and to save planet Earth, it ends up being. So, he had to remember who he was and what his assignment was. Does that bring back a memory of a 1994 animated movie that ended up being a blockbuster hit of a main character that forgot who he was? Think along the lines of lions and their responsibilities. (laughs) Think along the lines of somebody by the name of Simba. Who was lied to by his evil uncle Scar and he was sent into exile, where he was frolicking with his friends that I can't remember their names. And then Nala and Rafiki had to come back and tell him, Who are you? So I bring up those examples of films that sometimes in our culture they're asking some similar questions that we ask. Who am I? What is my identity? And for us as followers of Christ, we are called to ask that question. Who am I? And what is my assignment? Now, in our culture, they don't have the right solutions to their questions, but they're often asking the questions. You can see that in culture. You can see that in, the, in uh, cinema. You can see that in literature. Oftentimes, the characters are trying to discover who are, who am I, where am I going, what is my purpose. So we ask that question: Who am I? What has God called me to do? So we're going to look at. Before I get into the the person we're looking at today, which is Peter, the apostle Peter. Um, and we're going to look at two verses. I'll give you a little hint. His first letter written at the end of his life is found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We're looking at that as being a main verse, and we're also looking at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, an event that happened in his life. So those are the two verses we're looking at. But before we proceed, I appreciated Cheryl mentioning to me uh, as she came in this morning. From Second Samuel chapter 9, there's an individual by the name of Mephibosheth. You can say this as fast as you can. If you say this as fast as you can, people think that maybe you know how to speak the language. And you, you know, Mephibosheth. Yeah, okay. Oh, all right. So he was, he was from the line of Saul. He was in exile himself. He was fearful, he was crippled, he was he was in a place of Lodabar, and then King David, because of his kindness towards his father Jonathan, wanted to express covenant love to him and brought him into his palace and brought him into his family where it says he always ate at the king's table thereafter. I thought it was confirming the sense uh, Mephibosheth had to have a re- imagined identity of who he really is. And I thought, Lord, I think you're trying to confirm something. We're going to be talking about identity, and to have that confirming word from the Old Testament is something that we all need all the time. Who are we? God wants us to know who we really are. And so Peter is the one that we're looking at, and this is what he says. And okay, before, before we read that verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter met Jesus, and the first encounter, what does Jesus do? Is recorded in John chapter 1. He says, you're going to be called Peter. He renames him, which has to do with identity. And what does Peter mean? Rock. And Peter might have been thinking, oh yeah, I always kind of thought I was Mr. Stability. All right, yes, yes, here we go. Glad, Jesus, aren't you good, glad to have me on your team? And so uh, later on, then when uh, Jesus multiplies the fish from Peter's boat, and Peter had doubted that Jesus could, could do that, and uh, doubted that, th- that it was a good time to fish, and they went out into deep water as Jesus told Peter to do that, and he threw out the nets, and what happened? The nets filled up with fish. And then the fish kept coming and started to fill up the boat to where it started to sink. And then they had to get their friends in their boat to start helping with the catch of fish and start filling up their boat. You just kind of thought, Jesus, stop. We're about ready to sink. Okay, okay, okay. And so Jesus demonstrated something of his authoritative power there. And at that point in time, Peter said, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Because he saw that he was in the presence of deity, in the mystery of Jesus' awesome power. He realized, I don't deserve to be here. So here he was. Jesus called him rock. And then he is realizing, oh man, I don't deserve to be here. And then what does Jesus say to him? Don't fear, Peter. From now on, you're going to be catching people. See, Jesus, from the very beginning, was speaking identity to Peter and destiny to Peter. And so, as I tied into those two movies of Bumblebee and The Lion King, that was our culture's way of trying to come up with some answers to those questions that we all ask, Who am I? In the cosmos, do I belong or am I alone? Is, or is there an infinite personal God that knows me and knows my days here? The Bible has the authoritative answer re, revealing what God speaks to us. Says, yes, he does know who we are. He does know us before we exist. He does know the number of our days. He wants to speak his assurance into our lives, and therefore it matters to him that we know who we are and that we know our assignment and that we know our calling by him. And so, Peter's a good one to go to because Peter wrestled with that through all of his whole life. So, the verse in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And verse 9, it says this. He says, but you, I love that you are. You are identity, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession. So he talks about identity. And now he gives purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We come before you as your people. Gather before you as the congregation that you've called out to, to know you and to follow you. We ask that your spirit would bring illumination to our hearts and lives. And that you would enable us to know all the more the identity that you have given us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We ask that in your mighty name. Amen. So the first one that he says to them, is says, you are a chosen race. You know, borrowed from uh, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. They were chosen by God, by grace, by covenant. In Deuteronomy 7, it says that God chose the nation of Israel not because they were a great empire, not because they had great political power, not because they had great riches. He chose them by grace. We're chosen by grace. Another way to look at this is what Tim Keller says is that we are chosen people, not a choice people. Oh, <laughs> Oh, we don't like that. Hold it, Lord, aren't you you choosing me because you just find me so impressive, so virtuous, so together? Oh, come on, come on. No. You know, remember what Paul told the Corinthians who were early into pride and intellectualism and kind of polarized around certain leaders? Uh, What did he say to them? He says, not many of you were wise, noble, impressive, but he chose you by grace. You know how reassuring that is? I mean, it's the days I fall on my face, the days I am fearful, the days I react in such ways that I wouldn't want anybody to see me, hoping there's nobody with a secret iPhone that's filming me somewhere. (laughs) That God chooses us because of his love for us. We're chosen people, not choice people. See, Peter would know that firsthand. Peter remembers the time where he was one up and all the other disciples saying, Jesus, you know, all these other guys, they may fail you, they may forsake you, but you can count on me. And then, when the pressure's on, what's he do in front of everybody? What's he do in front of the Romans, in front of the Jewish leadership, in front of a slave girl there? He denies he ever knew Jesus. Denies he was ever associated with Jesus. Falls flat on his face, and he's embarrassed with shame and regret. What's Jesus do? Jesus restores him. Jesus calls him to himself and says, Jesus, and and he says to to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. I've given you an entrustment. I've given you a responsibility. So Peter knew that full well. You know, we need to be reminded of that. God chooses us because of his grace. What is assignment, what his calling is? You know, we just need to learn that lesson over and over again. Because there's times we fall flat on our face. There's times we're embarrassed. And we want to pull back and regret and shame. I remember uh, shortly before Lynn and I were married, um, I was attempting to play football at that time, uh, not Western Oregon University. It was called Oregon College of Education. And uh, I was attempting to somehow relive the glory years of my high school years. But it was it was unraveling pretty quickly. and uh, And so they moved me from a running back to an outside linebacker. And do I look like a linebacker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was my uh, my opinion fully. So they're trying to find a place for me to fit in. And so, uh, if you know anything about linebackers and what they have to do, uh, is they they got to take on at least like two hundred and seventy five pound tackles that are pulling, and their their intent is to is to knock you out of the playing field if they can and maybe knock you out of the ball game if they can I mean not to say they 're malicious but just you know they can you know the emotions can really get the best of you while, while you 're out there in the football field and so in my attempts to try and work my way into a position where maybe i 'd be playing some varsity uh, uh, playing time, it really wasn 't happening, and so after one one game is I went into the locker room and I had been knocked over by some of those vicious, vicious tackles that really are not very nice. Uh, and after the game, when they shake your hand, uh, they're nice. But uh, during the game, anyway, um, I was going to the locker room thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's another assignment in life other than me becoming an NFL player. And as I sat down, I was f- feeling pretty distraught. There was another younger player that came up and began talking. We had some relationship uh, throughout the, the the football season, so uh, we knew each other a little bit. But as he started uh, sharing a little bit about uh, what was going on in his life, he was really uh, under a lot of duress. And I started pointing him to Christ, and found he was very responsive. And then pointing him to the opportunity for him to receive Christ as a Savior. And he said, yes, he was wanting to do that. What that taught me was in the times of great weakness or times of great distress or times of regret, because I wasn't feeling too good after my performance in the game, that God was still at work. And there's a bigger picture, a bigger purpose that we're called to. And Peter shows us that. There's times in his life where he fell flat on his face, but Jesus said, I still have something for you. It's because we're chosen by grace. Now if we could go to Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13. This is after Peter rose to the occasion to become the primary apostolic leader of the new church in Jerusalem that was being birthed. And he was taken out of his despair, taken out of his regret, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I emphasize that again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon them, and there were thousands gathered, Peter rose to the occasion by the empowerment of the Spirit, raised his voice and was able to speak to the multitude that God was visiting his people, and this was fulfilling the prophecies of Joel, who was, that said that the Spirit is being poured out, fulfilling the prophecies from King David, saying that Jesus was Messiah. And he called people to respond to Christ, and says 3,000 responded and began get following Jesus Christ. There, Peter learned something of Jesus' word to him, the speaking destiny, that you will become a fisherman. He learned it, and he began providing leadership for this church. And then the religious elite and political elite got wind of Peter's authoritative power and how God was using him, and they wanted to mute his voice. And they told him to stop speaking in this name. But but Peter responded back, How can I stop speaking of the name above all names and the name that only will provide salvation for all people? I can't stop doing that. And so they put him in prison. And the next day they brought him before the Sanhedrin. And the elite. And this is what they they. Their evaluation of Peter, of chapter 4 and verse 13. Their evaluation. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, we're going to stop there a second. How many of you... Would like that epitaph put on your tombstone. He was unschooled. Ordinary. I wouldn't want that. You know, there's something within us that kind of oh now just a second. I know I'm a country bumpkin, and you know I know I'm from Galilee. You know, and I know I was a fisherman, but don't call me unschooled and ordinary. I think Peter would have liked that. Why? Because of the rest of the statement. What's it say? It says, one, they were astonished. They were astonished about these unschooled, ordinary guys. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think Peter would be all over that. You can tell me I was a country bumpkin. You can tell me I was ignorant. You can tell me I was unschooled. You can tell me I was ordinary, but I know who I am and who I belong to. I belong to Jesus who loved me, pursued me, and called me, and gave me an assignment. I know. And so he was so in love with Christ that it didn't matter who evaluated him. He knew who He was and who loved Him and gave His life for Him. That's something I think the Lord wants to impart to us in a fresh way in these turbulent times that we're living in to give us a fresh understanding of who we are in Christ, that we are loved, that we are called, that we are on assignment. None of the the things that are happening in our culture catch Him by any surprise and that He is... with us and he's still leading us and he's still shepherding us and still giving us assignments and we're to continue to look up afresh to him. And so we see in Peter the courage that was given to him and they also recognized who was this country bumpkin? What was he doing? He was teaching, instructing and what he was doing was he was schooling all the religious elite that thought they knew something about God's law, and he was teaching them how to apply. And they was pointing to the reality, the preeminent one that was exalted over all, and they were just astonished. It was beyond them to even figure out, how can this guy have such authoritative power that was being released from his life? Do we remember any of those people today? No. Who do we remember? Peter, the unschooled, ordinary, uneducated one that was so captured by Christ and so much filled with the authoritative power of the Holy Spirit that they couldn't stop it. The movement continued to begin there. and continued to where it's even touched us 2,000 years later. The preeminent one just loves us and called us to himself. Okay, now let's go on to the second part. Well, you know what? We don't have time to cover all four. So to enable you to relax just a bit and to know we're not going to be here all morning, I'm going to go to the last one. It says, a people for his own possession. So one part of identity is, who am I? But there's even a greater part of that identity when it comes to us being followers of Christ is, whose am I? And what's Peter say? We belong to God. We belong to him. Have any of you uh, seen any of the uh, chosen episodes that were released uh, a few months ago? And you can get it through an app. You know, there's like there are eight sessions in, in uh, season one. Uh, it's, okay, a number of you are familiar with it. But the first one it deals with Mary Magdalene and it kind of looks some of her life and how Jesus uh, uh, took, took demons out of her, drove the demons out and he spoke these words to her from Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. It says, Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, it says these words, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Those are some of the most precious words of the Lord that fulfilled in us as the people of God through Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. We're His property. He gave His precious blood that we could have life with Him and have ownership by Him. I love what Luke chapter 12 and verse 32 says. This is Jesus trying to reassure His followers and reassure them that he says look at the birds of the air the father feeds them look at the lilies how they're so beautifully clothed don't worry about your life the lord has it all under control and then he says these these words in luke twelve thirty two, he says do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. I love the phrase, little flock. That means we belong to a shepherd who seeks us out. For your father, the father who adopts us, we belong to him. Fatherhood originates in almighty God. The father that seeks us out and sent his son, that we would belong to him and adopts us into the family of God. And then, the king who adopts the people for his own possession. I think it's tremendous that we have a shepherd who calls us to himself. But more than that, you know, in Revelation, because we say the Lord is my shepherd from Psalm 23, which is so true, we have the good shepherd that Jesus talks about, that he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for us. Like how Revelation chapter 7 uh, says that we have a shepherd who is the lamb who gave his life in Revelation seven 17. We're crafted in his image and he pursues us. And he lived and died for us and rose from the dead and intercedes for us. He's going to return turn for us. We follow the lamb who gave his life for us. So we are his. So what does Jesus say? He says, you are or peter says he says you are that you may so if we wanted to sum up this message today from this verse in first peter chapter 2 verse 9 our identity is you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession so we leave today Don't let anybody steal from you who you are. You are His. You're adopted by Him. You are in the family of God. You are a new creation. You know, 200 times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that you are in Christ. You've been joined with Christ, united with Christ. You've died with Christ. You live with Christ. Christ lives within you. He's reigning on high. You are in Him. You're seated in Christ heavenly places in Christ. You are in Christ. Your identity is secure. Your future is secure. He is taking care of you, and also your assignment is secure. He's given you an assignment. You are that you may. So no matter what, where we find ourselves in history, is that we have an assignment because of our identity and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So, Lynn, if you could come back, and we're going to sing uh, the song "The Blessing." Is is that? And that's been used by the Holy Spirit globally among the church because I don't know if you've any of you have seen some of those corporate worship leadership uh, Facebook Live things that have been put out uh, in our culture today. But you you've seen those things, and you see the this word the uh, the song "The Blessing" being sung. Have any of you seen any of those? Yeah, okay. Okay, a few. Well, um, you know where this song comes from? Yeah, it comes from the uh, Pentateuch. Yeah, Numbers chapter 6. Very close. (laughs) Very close. And that's where Moses tells the priest, you need to speak these words over my people. Speak these words. Where he says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then in verse 27, right after those words, he says, so that my people, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. You know, what's that mean? My name? In other words, God wants his people to have emblazoned on their hearts that we belong to him. We are his, that we know our identity is established. That's why Paul, why did he pray those intercessory prayers in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, Philippians 1? In Ephesians 1, it says, I pray... I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling, the glory of the riches of his inheritance of the saints, and what's the surpassing greatness of his power towards you who believe. He wants that emblazoned on our hearts, that it can be never stolen from us, that we would know who we are, we belong to him, and what our uh, destiny and assignment is. Call to him and serve him. And so these words... We see in in a different, shaped in a little bit different way in Numbers chapter 6 that my name will be upon my people. God wants that to be something that will never be stolen from us. So if we go back to those original questions that we asked back in those movies who are you really, Bumblebee? Who are you really, Simba? They would have to know that. But that's all under myth, all under stories that are make-believe. This is reality that we're dealing with. God wants us to know, who are you? You are that you may. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's sing that together. Let's ask the Lord to emblazon that on our hearts.